Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Well, we've all been increasingly worried about what we're hearing in terms of COVID-19, especially how it's affecting the Eastern Cape. When we look at the mortality rate there, it's currently the highest in the country. Well, to try and talk around some of the issues, and uh, again, if you were tuned in yesterday, we had a conversation with Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman of the Gift of the Givers, uh, who was telling us about part of what he has seen there, uh, in particular at ho- hospitals that are on the outskirts of the metropole areas and in rural areas that seem to be really struggling when it comes to their response to the virus. Well, joining us uh, today is Sianda Manana, who is, or, or not Sianda rather, in fact, that particular uh, guest has been replaced. We're now, we're now going to be joined in his place by Dr. Sibongile Zungu, who is the HOD in the Eastern Cape Health Department. Uh, Dr. Zungu, good morning and thank you for your time today. Hey. Hello, Dr. Zungu, can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Kezi, and good morning to your listeners. All right, fantastic. That line is sounding a lot better. Uh, Lerato Fekisi is our SABC reporter in the Eastern Cape. She's been watching some of the stories there for us. Lerato, good morning. Good morning to you, Kathy. And Miki Jakaini is Nahau's provincial secretary in the province. Uh, Ndate Miki, good morning. Good morning, and good morning to your viewers. Sure, thank sure. Thank, thank you all for, for coming on board to to have this conversation. I think, Lerato, I want to begin with you because part of what we've also been carrying on the show uh, over the last two weeks or so have been, you know, different stories by reporters who are seeing different things at hos- at the hospital. So we, we've heard of the paramedics who are waiting outside hospitals with patients in their ambulances simply unable to access facilities because they're told that, you know, there isn't enough capacity to actually take on those patients. But just your own experience of how you were seeing the health department there respond to the current increase of COVID-19 numbers. Hi, Cathy. I must be honest with you and say that the Department of Health, particularly in North Mandalay Bay Metro, which is a hotspot, have throughout the past two months really done all they can in terms of increasing the capacity of beds in hospitals to accommodate COVID-19 patients. At Livingston Hospital, which is a quarantine hospital, the basement, which was used to be a parking lot, was actually converted to a COVID-19 ward and able to house about 75 people. So there is work being done to make sure that they increase more bed space in hospitals. And when the Minister of Health was here, he did state that in terms of bed availability for COVID-19 patients, that is not the problem. Where the problem area is, um, Cassie, is the area where people come in, let's say if someone has an accident or into the casualty ward, where people have to wait two or three days before before they can get placed in a COVID ward. So they wait, they get tested, have to wait for two or three days, and that's where the problem area is, actually called observation ward. And Kizia was saying for him, during his walks and also with us interacting with him is that there is enough space available in our hospitals, but the observation wards where people are waiting two or three days waiting for their results is where the problem area is and where, where areas of focus need to be given in terms of managing that specific area. So that's what I've seen as well, Kate. I know there's mm-hmm. been so much out in the media saying that there's not enough beds, but there really are there are enough beds. We've got sufficient hospitals. Yes, there are challenges here and there in terms of PPEs, but in terms of beds, which is a critical right thing right now, um, there is enough 
Uh, better availability in the hospital. So, so, Lerato, when you talk about a challenge um, in these observation wards, what is really happening there? In terms of the observation wards, so what would happen, Cathy, people would come in, whether you're coming in after an accident or you're coming in into the hospital, but before they can state you as someone who's positive, obviously they've got to test you first. And the waiting period to get your results is a bit slow. Dr. Mkiza also spoke about that and said that the waiting period for people to get the results must be done faster because we can't have mm. an observation where people are waiting two or three days and some people even positive and sitting there and waiting for the results because they cannot be taken in and out. They can't be taken to a normal ward. They can't be taken to a COVID, COVID ward because we don't know what the results are. So, so, so Lerato, uh, sorry, sorry to come in there. Does that mean every single patient who is being brought to the hospital right now has to undergo a COVID test. Yes, and and that's what and that's what Dr. Kiza was saying is that mm. it's hard for us, it's hard for the Department of Health to be able to place these people in normal wards because they could be COVID nineteen carriers. So it poses a risk now to put someone who's COVID nineteen positive into a normal ward with people that aren't because they're then going to become spreaders in that specific ward. So they have to be tested, especially if they come to the casualty ward where there's blood and everything else that's spared there, to make sure that they don't carry COVID nineteen and then place them within the right areas. So that's what I've seen, I think, for me, is one of the greatest challenges mm, um, mm. In, in right now. And he did say that that just needs better management because in other hospitals, they are, they are doing it right. But he saw that in our hospitals, in PE, it's still not being managed correctly. And he says perhaps that's the reason why there is this narrative now that hospitals are full because what he saw is that there are actually beds available in COVID-19 wards, but then there's a backlog in the observation ward. Mm. Mr. Jack Gaini, let me let me bring you in here, perhaps from the... Yeah. the the, the, the union's perspective. Hello? You, you, yes, your own reflections then um, on, on, on the province's ability to, to respond to the increasing numbers of, of COVID-19. Yeah, thank you. For, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's, it's so unfortunate that I did not hear a word uh, in what Lerato was saying because she was not audible enough. But let me just before I go to what we have observed in the Eastern Cape, just try to remember those members that have been in the front line who have lost their lives uh, through this COVID. I think we, we, we want to, to, to send our condolences to the family and friends because we have lost so many members during this uh, time uh, in the first and also in the second wave. So we, 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 we want to, to emphasize that if we cannot work together uh, in finding the lasting solution uh, in this problem, then we'll be guilty uh, uh, for, for neglecting all those who have suffered uh, in this COVID. And I think we must be truthful to our listeners from uh, this day going forward. Uh, let, let me reflect on what we have observed, because what I heard uh, uh, Lerato talking about is the, is, the, is the waiting period in observation wards, which is something that has been brought to our attention by our members, that there is a criteria that is being used uh, to, to, to admit patients. Uh, they are saying if you are 50 and above and uh, you, you, you are subjected to the testing where they test you for HIV, diabetes, and blood pressure, uh, there, there are slim chances that you can get either a bed in, in the ward or in any of the wards or quarantine areas 
that are there or in theater for that matter. So, uh, so, 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 sorry, Mr. Jatkani, can, can you just repeat that? You said that they, they're telling patients who are above 50 years old to, to undergo tests for HIV, uh, high blood pressure, and, and what else? And, and also uh, it's, it's diabetes, HIV, and high blood pressure mm. so that a decision can be taken as to whether you can be admitted. Now, they are looking for those who have got comorbidities. Uh, and we are saying that criteria is very unfair. I'm sure that's one of the reasons that uh, is, 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 is giving a challenge for results to come back after uh, people have been waiting for longer hours uh, in the observation world. So to, to us, I think uh, that that is giving a, a challenge to all our private and also uh, 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 public hospitals. Uh, because I think uh, if you are uh, subjected to that kind of criteria, there are very slim chances that you can get a bed. So we are saying uh, if the department or the government have listened to us, because during uh, the advent of this COVID, we went through a survey after we have visited uh, the most affected hospitals uh, in the in the in the. Uh, uh, Port Elizabeth area, which is in Nelson Mandela. We visited uh, uh, hospitals like Doranginza, Livingston, and Bilisweni, and, and we came back with the report to say these are the challenges that should have informed us to have a joint uh, uh, venture in a most coordinated way to have an inspection in local where we would come up with mechanisms to try and uh, get the lasting solution. Because we, we have uh, also uh, 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 seen that those that are managing hospitals did not have the requisite skills and the necessary knowledge on how to combat this COVID-19. So we're saying in the interest of uh, uh, combating the second wave, uh, which we, we foresaw coming, we, we said if uh, the government can come to the party so that we, 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 we make some proposals. For instance, we're saying uh, if uh, those hospitals that did not have enough PPEs can share the PPEs with those that were in shortage, that would have uh, uh, assisted in, in lowering the numbers of the affected. So I think... Uh, there are some proposals that could have been uh, uh, used by the department to try and, and lower uh, the, 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 the numbers mm-hmm. that have affected uh, uh, most of our patients in the Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. But because those fell in on deaf ears, and we are not so sure whether the department now is able to listen to us so that we can work together in and, trying to lower the curve. Sure. And, and we'll certainly, you know, get the, the, the response of the department because uh, the HOD is on the line and is listening to this conversation and, in fact, is also part of this conversation. Uh, but, but just to, to clarify, uh, Mr. Jatgeni, are you saying that right now, if somebody goes to the trauma unit or the casualty unit of the hospital, they will not be admitted. Even in the case of an emergency, they will not be admitted until they have the results for these tests which are being taken. 
That is our understanding in most of the hospitals because there is a cross shortage of beds according to the uh, uh, reports that we are getting. Secondly, we are told that those that have been admitted uh, 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 earlier on are not uh, <laughs> able to, to, to sustain themselves in hospitals and some of them are discharged uh, immediately after they have been uh, admitted. Mm-hmm. So we are saying... Uh, we have made a proposal, for instance, that the, the, the permanent employment of the uh, uh, healthcare workers could have assisted a, a, a great deal if that could have been uh, 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 admitted uh, by, by what was the proposal that we made in the first place. Because we are saying in the interest of the promotion of the primary health care system, as it was uh, um, uh, pronounced by the World Health Organization, uh, in the Eastern Cape, because it's too rural and also there are certain urban areas, it could have been better that people would take care of themselves so that their lifestyles could change because we can do everything else, but without us having... A, 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 an education kind of a, a venture to get into our areas and to change the kind of behavior that is there right. and, al- and also do mm. everything in our power to make sure that people uh, 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 adhere to the COVID-19 policies. Sure. I think we would not be where we are today. Mr. D- we're going to proposals. we're going to continue with this conversation, of course, after the latest news headlines. In fact, we'll kick it off with a response from Dr. Zungu, who's the HOD. It's just after ten thirty. Well, thanks for staying with the talking point today. We continue looking at uh, the situation in the Eastern Cape and uh, just really understanding what are some of the challenges that are facing the health system in terms of the response to COVID-19. Joining us for this conversation, we've heard, we've had on Lerato Fikisi. Uh, she's an SABC reporter in the Eastern Cape and focusing in particular on the issues within the Nelson Mandate. Mandela Bay Precinct, um, Miki Chateni, who is Nahau's Provincial Secretary in the province, and Dr. Sibungi Lezungu, who's the HOD in the Eastern Cape Health Department. So I think we, we, we've heard from some of the other parties in terms of our journalist and Nahau, who've painted a picture for us uh, in terms of what they've been seeing, what uh, some of Nahau's members have also been sharing. Dr. Zungu, let me give you an opportunity um, perhaps to to address some of the issues that have already been raised, uh, but but I think to to also just give us um, you know a sense of what the health department is doing in terms of the the response to COVID nineteen. And of course, uh, if you want to be part of this conversation, I will be taking calls a little later on. So uh, the number to dial is zero double one seven one four two double zero six. The SMS line four one three nine one. The WhatsApp line zero six one four. 104107 on Twitter. It's at SFM Radio, the hashtag SFM Talking Point. If you have family members that have been treated uh, at some of these hospitals, if you yourself have been treated at some of these hospitals, I'd really love to hear from you this morning about your experience. But uh, Dr. Zungu, over to you. Uh, thank you, Lebu, and uh, good morning to the team in the studio. From the department side, we we have really experienced a difficult uh, 
seven months. Uh, we, we have had a situation where we started with the first case of COVID-19. And at that point, we were prepared because we were prepared for an epidemic, an infectious disease, as we had always prepared. We would have certain hospitals set aside, with beds set aside, with uh, experts at those facilities, ensuring that we can look after a a particular epidemic and contain it. But COVID-19 was different. All of a sudden, we saw the flooding of our facilities with cases, and an increase in the numbers. There wasn't anywhere you could go for the for knowledge of COVID-19 except your own experience as a clinician and the, and the experience of others. We looked at experiences of other countries, but uh, the, the environment is different in each country. The, 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 the regulations are different in each country and their application affects the country differently. So we, we, we prepared for, for, for COVID-19 and we, we have had our staff that have been at it since March. They've been working, they are tired, like a, we, some of them are already admitted and we have lost some of them. And it is not easy to manage in such a situation. We have learned that we can prevent and minimize the impact of COVID-19 through wearing a mask, social distancing, keeping the cough hygiene, and sanitizing hands and washing the hands. This is being tried by our communities, but despite all of this, the cases are increasing, and in some instances, these are not adhered to, and therefore the numbers are increasing. I'm putting this forward because when you talk about this health system being prepared. The health system can be prepared in a certain direction if you know exactly how the disease unfolds, how it manifests itself, and and how you can manage its various facets and various stages. There are a certain criteria that we have been using in our health facilities guided by the experiences from the first wave and clinical experiences from other countries, as well as the guidance from the World Health Organization. This is about protecting the vulnerable. It has been shown that those that are of an advanced age or have comorbidities need to be protected so that they are not exposed to the virus and also ensure that um, when they, they go to health facilities, it is out of uh, absolute necessity that they go to the facilities to avoid unnecessary exposure to the virus. So at this point, the department has created a criteria for admission and as well as a, a criteria for referral. So before you even reach a hospital, once you get diagnosed with COVID-19, if you have no symptoms, you actually do not need an admission. You can go to an isolation facility. If your household uh, uh, does accommodate for isolation without exposing other family members to risk, you can be isolated at your household. 
and therefore that does it means you are not coming to a, a facility. However, you get monitored through phone calls or visits from a, 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 the the what based teams, outreach teams that monitor how you are progressing in with the, with the diagnosis. After 10 days, if there are no uh, it's not there's no deterioration, you are deemed to have recovered. So they, there are many people that have recovered in the province through that monitoring and finishing that isolation period. But there are people who develop symptoms that warrant their admission. And when that happens, then when you get to the facility, then you have to be screened because there are a number of people that have comorbidities that complicate as they are in the ward, and those need to be taken care of. Therefore, that screening, if you are not a known patient that has uh, those comorbidities, you have to be screened because some people are not aware they are diabetic, they are not aware they are hypertensive, but from previous experience, we have learned that uh, people with uh, comorbidities do not uh, have a, a good uh, prognosis in terms of uh, the outcomes for, for COVID-19. And therefore, the level of alertness of the clinician that is assisting that particular person has to be heightened. So, Dr. Dr. Zungu, just, just to come in there, this criteria that is used, so people are being screened for diabetes, high blood pressure and HIV. Right. Is, is that what's happening? People get screened particularly for high blood pressure and diabetes. The HIV component is something that we were doing all along, what we call provider-initiated screening for HIV. Because when you present to a health facility, it's an opportunity for the health system to identify disease that you might have that you might not know of. It would not be beneficial to a person to arrive at a health facility not knowing their state of health, to leave a facility and continue for the next um, 12 months maybe if they don't go to a facility, when we could have a preventive initiation on antiretroviral treatment. Because the, with the provider-initiated uh, uh, testing for HIV, we are able then to offer you treatment immediately because now we can test and treat, yes, which improves yeah. improve the outcome of, of your illnesses if you are being treated for HIV, which, which prolongs your, your, your life and uh, improves your response to other diseases. And, and what I'm really seeking to clarify here, Dr. Zungu, is the extent to which every single patient that ultimately will have to be admitted in, in, into your hospitals. So are you saying that they all have to undergo HIV testing as part of the screening process, including diabetes, including high blood pressure? It, it, it's not an admission criteria. The, the, the main issues that are tested hypertension because you measure right there and get the results right there. And when you do, it's something we do every day. It's called vital signs. Mm -hmm. When you get to a health facility, 
sometimes whilst you are on the queue, you even get tagged there. It's not like it's a, it's a cumbersome task. And and, and, and I get that in terms of the high blood pressure and doctors wanting to check people's glucose levels, etc. But I've never heard of of HIV testing that needs to take place before patients can be seen or even before they can be admitted to hospitals. So which is why it's important for you to clarify this matter, because remember, Mr. Jackeni, who's still on the line, told us a little earlier that, um, in fact, he was being told by some of their members that the screening includes HIV testing and that's why it's taking time for some of these results to come back. No, let me indicate to you. Mm. These are point of care tests. They get done here and now. It doesn't take a long time. It's a short time to get the result of each. That's the first thing. Mm. The second second issue is the, 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 the blockage in the system is not really at the medical intervention. The blockage in the system is after everything has been done and it was at a specific hospital in Livingston where there was a problem of a pottering where you have people who then assist patients to be moved to the ward. And the, the, those people were not there to move the patients after the nurses and the doctors have seen them and they require an admission and the bed is available, but to move these people from the, 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 the position from casualty where they are being seen to a ward where they are being admitted, whether they are COVID positive or COVID negative, they would be directed. This is where the triaging of patients take place to take them to the appropriate section where they need to be admitted. So this is what was causing the clogging of the system and not necessarily the testing. And the testing is even now at at health facilities, even for COVID-19, we have introduced the, the rapid antigen test, which allows the patients who do not know whether they are COVID positive and they are coming for other conditions. They might be coming for surgery, but we need to know that this person who is going to theater, is this person COVID uh, positive? So that then the handling of the patient is in such a manner that the health workers can be protected and they can take the, the precautions as they handle such a patient because the patient will still need the attention from the mm. health workers. All right, Dr. Zungu, Um, I'm going to open the phone lines now and give an opportunity to our listeners to also be part of this conversation. Let me begin with Babalo in Port Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and uh, good morning to your um, 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 contributors uh, to today's show. Um, I'll probably give you a perspective from someone who's um, 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 gotten hands-on experience in terms of actually losing um, loved ones. Mm. Um, last month, um, I, I lost both my mom and my dad uh, in the space of two days. Oh, I'm um, so sorry to hear yeah, that, Babalo. Um, due to the um, 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 COVID complications. Um, and I just wanted to, because it was interesting for me to just listen to the different contributors uh, and their perspective um, from from their point of views, 
but at least you can actually be able, once you listen to all three of the uh, people that are there, you can be able to discern in terms of what actually is going on here because you get different differing views from all three of the contributors there. Um, so for me, um, whatever you heard from um, Dr. Imche Suleiman yesterday, mm. I truly attest to everything in terms of people, when they say there is a crisis in the Nelson Mandela Bay, they are actually not exaggerating. It's mm. not an exaggeration or hyperbole in terms of what really is happening here. Because from the onset where you actually are um, I'm, I'm requesting for assistance in terms of ambulances, you're actually not in uh, a situation where you can actually be able to get that service just purely by virtue of the sheer number of people that actually need uh, um, um, you know, to be transported because the ambulances are actually stuck in this hospital. Um, because for both my parents, I had to wait in excess of three hours from the time I had actually phoned an ambulance saying, okay, we've got an emergency, we need an, uh, you know, an ambulance to take my parents to Mercantile Hospital here in Port Elizabeth. To a point where I reverted to actually me having to summon the power, me and my wife, to assist in taking them to the back of my car to transport them. Three hours, three and a half hours, Kathy. And you wait, you, you get there by the time you eventually actually get to the hospital. There is no sense of urgency. You know, you get to the casualty and, 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 and people come to the car and then say, okay, they look at, uh, at the patient, they see the patient is actually struggling to even, you know, breathe. Where you would have to yourself say, request them that, okay, while you guys have got your protocols in terms of admitting the customer in, can at least can we have at least uh, an oxygen, you know, to assist? I understand that people have to go through all these protocols, Kathy, but at least when people can clearly see that it's an emergency, there has to be some form of urgency as well from them in terms of trying to assist. So, yeah, I just wanted to just um, 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 voice my opinion, but as I'm saying to you, from a point of view of someone who's lost both their parents in a matter of two days, um, I'm being admitted uh, um, um, to hospital. Mm. I would, uh, I, w- I would really think twice, mm. you know, by by letting anyone actually take their loved one to any of the hospitals, because now, as things stand now, there's actually no discerning or differentiation uh, between a private hospital and a, a, a public government hospital, because things are at a stage whereby it. it, it it's just chaotic out there and mm. you can see from frontline workers as well that people if it's not uh, mental health issues they are just physically exhausted mm. by the onslaught of the disease that mm. is taking its toll on both patients and also the frontline workers so mm. for me i just can people just cut through the bs please and just tell it as it is that's why i thought you know what let me just pull over and phone, and if uh, uh, by the grace of God you guys pick up my phone, I can just give you a perspective of what has happened to me and my family. Mm. Babalo, I, I, before you go, before you go, how long did it take for your parents to be admitted into uh, the hospital? From the time I eventually got to to to, to, to hospital, this was mm. on the 13th of, 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 of November this month. 
Um, it took about 35 to 40 minutes from the time I had arrived there, saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is an emergency. Can we please be assisted? Can we please have a stretcher? Can we please, if there is no stretcher, can we at least please have a, a, a wheelchair so that we can start getting, you know, a, 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 my dad in um, um, because they started with my dad and mm-hmm. then my mom. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying it's, yeah, it's just frustrating when you get people that we're supposed to actually get proper information and then you get people who are trying to spin the truth. Let's just tell it as it is in terms of what is going on in the Eastern Cape. Thank you. Babalo, thank you so much for for your call. And again, my deepest condolences to you and your family, you know, losing both his parents in such a short space of of time. And we'll give our guests an opportunity to to respond in a moment. Uh, Chris in Durban, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Condolences to the previous caller. But uh, I think it, 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 it gives a very good introduction to my point. But maybe we need to ask ourselves, is it not feeling total government system in the Eastern Cape? Mm. Because the education and health are just very good symptoms that we have a serious problem in the Eastern Cape and has been growing over years. But secondly, that failure in government has created a very toxic environment where people are no longer able to care. I mean, taking out a Zoom and putting it there, it's not really setting up to fail because the system, the environment is very toxic and is very broken. And lastly, it's the whole point of delivery. Having a more centralized system, shouldn't we looking at a more decentralized system? Mm-hmm. Building capacity at the closest point at district level, for example. Eastern Cape is huge. Maybe they had that discussion before 1994 should have ended up having two provinces in one because at times I do feel that we still have elements of the former trans guy guy uh, there. One doctor was telling me that she left, I think, Pizana uh, for a meeting in Bisho, which takes almost the whole day. When she arrived there, she was told the meeting was postponed. Mm. Really, couldn't somebody from her? I mean, driving the whole day too, we told the meeting was postponed. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Sorry, it... We, we did, it doesn't make we sense, Chris. It doesn't. So it mm. really shows that there are problems that I think the likes of Dr. Zoom will need to address not just the clinical issues in themselves, but also building a system All that right. actually cares. All right, Chris, we're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, the line to you also isn't great, uh, but uh, thanks thanks for calling in. Um, Dr. Zungu, let me bring you in here because I think you're probably the most appropriate person to, to respond to an experience like what um, we, we heard just from Babalo there uh, a short while ago. If you can be as brief as possible so that we can just have one or two more questions once you're done. Uh, my condolences to to Babalo uh, uh, for for the loss. The, the 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 issue is when COVID nineteen strikes, it depletes your resources. He was relating to an experience of the private sector, but when the resources are depleted, whether it's private sector or public sector, it's a, a depletion of resources. And in this case, 
everything happened, but it was delayed, probably because that private ambulance also had been called elsewhere. And honestly speaking, whilst we were preparing for an epidemic, we were not aware, we had no privilege of prior knowledge of the extent in which COVID-19 would affect us, both the private, private sector and the public sector. So it is a challenging situation and a challenging moment Dr. Zungu, why is there not enough PPE for hospitals in the Eastern Cape, especially uh, hospitals in, in, in your rural areas? On the side of PPE, at this point, we have enough. That's, that's and, not what we were and, told. Dr. Intias, yeah. we have yeah. enough because we work with the, the, the union representatives and occupational and health, uh, health and safety teams to monitor the PPE and also to monitor the infection control issues at hospital level. When something comes for free, then we will all be happy. And we might say we do not have PPE, but if you go and, and open where the PPE is kept, it is there. To, to be honest, the issue of PPE has been taken to the national uh, level where there are engagements with um, organized labor and it's one standing agenda item which gets attended to. Mr. Sorry, sorry, Dr. Zungu. The, the problem is that we're quickly running out of time and we won't be able to extend this interview. Mr. Jackani, is she right? Do, hello. Uh, hello. Do, do yes. hospitals and health workers have enough PPE? No, no, not at all. I think let's, let's conceptualize this. Because you might have, uh, in your view, the, the enough PPEs, but with the lack of the requisite skills to manage the, the available resources, be they uh, uh, financial, uh, material, or otherwise, you are going nowhere. I think I, I was also myself and other leaders a victim of the, the, the COVID-19. Uh, when we visited hospitals to deliver the PPEs. Mm. So I don't think uh, uh, Dr. Zungu is correct when he's saying all hospitals have got enough PPEs. I think it's about time now that we face the facts and we're truthful to ourselves so that we can, we can deal with this pandemic. And we want to caution uh, the department that they are refusal to meet with Nehau where we could share experiences and add value to what we believe could be the, uh, the, 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 the solution to the pandemic, I think uh, they must think again. Because really, we've been wanting to meet with the embassy, and she has been postponing the meeting uh, until she got mm-hmm. uh, the COVID-19 herself. Do you feel that there's a denial from the department about the situation? Definitely there is. There is. In our, in our view, uh, now that the hospitals are overwhelmed with uh, patients and uh, there is no strategy to deal with that, I think uh, we could have been smart enough. We could have been found better prepared after the first uh, wave, uh, when the second wave comes, so that we can know how we respond. But definitely we did not come to the party so that we can prepare for the second wave. Mm. Dr. Zungu? That, that is our view. Because really, uh, indeed, 
uh, we want also to, to say something about the testing, because if the testing is done uh, for for admission purposes, surely it is something that we should have uh, uh, thought about, and we'll uh, make sure that we 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 we, we, we go and, and and investigate, because it will be a constitutional right of each and every person to consent before. Uh, those testings are done mm. so that uh, Ab- absolutely, it's not absolutely. Anything, uh, uh, mm. uh, for, 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 for admission to the uh, health facility or the hospital. All right. Dr. Zungu, you know, one gets the impression that there is a level of denialism from the department around the, the state of affairs when it comes to the response to COVID-19. Uh, it, is, it is not denialism, Kevin. Uh, uh, it it it's the reality. No, but 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 you you are saying you are saying you you, you are out. saying that doctors and hospitals have enough PPE. Nehawu says they don't. We had gift of the givers on that says they're getting requests from hospitals to provide PPE. These are varying, you know, accounts of what is being experienced. And yet you say, no, there's more than enough PPE. It doesn't make sense. You know, I'm not going to have an argument on that point. Because the PPE is there. But Dr. Zungu, it's not about having an argument. It's about being clear about what the facts are and what they are not. And right now, one certainly doesn't get the sense that what you are saying is in fact the truth of what is being experienced on the ground by those who are at hospitals. Well, I haven't had a person at the hospital. I'll give you an example of Livingston Hospital. The doctor there requested gift of the givers to give him PPE so that he can pile it up where he can get it himself when as, as and when he needs it. Okay, However, so doc, uh, sorry, Doctor Zungu, I'm going to um, I'm going to interject there. Apologies to do this to you as you're answering. I have to go to the eleven o'clock news. I'm going to keep you on the line. I'll give you an opportunity to respond after the break, and we'll then get into our interview with Minister Tulas Ngesi. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays nine a.m. till midday. Welcome to the third and final hour of the Talking Point today. Of course, uh, we're going to be in conversation with the Labour Minister, Tulas Ngesi. Uh, that's um, oh, the Minister of Employment and Labour. That's going to be coming up shortly. Before we do that, though, an opportunity to Dr. Spongile Zungu, who is the HOD in the Eastern Cape Health Department. Quite a number of issues coming up in our conversations over the last hour. And, you know, quite distressing, actually, to hear part of what has been happening in the province. Uh, Dr. Zungu, an opportunity for you to, to, to give your final closing remarks and, and I suppose also to respond uh, to why the health department has been ignoring um, uh, the request for a meeting from Union Nahau to, to work through some of these issues that, that are facing their members on the ground. I am actually not aware of the uh in, in ignoring of uh, the request for a meeting. And uh, I am aware that the Honourable 
MEC Gomba has been having meetings with the unions and has had meetings with Nehau in particular. And uh, in my own um, way of working on the hotspots, I have also had meetings uh, with uh, Nehau, specifically in the Nelson Mandela Bay for Livingston Hospital. And I did speak to the leadership there that I will personally be going to each of the main hospitals there in the hotspot and also to Sarapatman district to ensure that we, we work on the issues together with all the unions that, uh, that are in these two districts that are hotspots in, uh, in the country and in the province. And, and um, on, on the issues that are being raised around PPE, honestly, this matter was raised by Nehau during the first wave, and it was elevated to a national level. And the Ministry of Health uh, took it on, and uh, there were systems that were placed in all provinces to ensure that the department, departments of health have PPE. And uh, this is reported on on a weekly basis in the incident management teams in the National Department of Health, and the same happens in the province. We check the depots, we check the health facilities. Health facilities themselves report back on the stock levels that they have. I can assure you, KV, that at the moment in the province, we have more than 86% availability of PPE at our facilities, the same prevails at our uh, depots, both in Umtata and in, in, uh, in, in, in Nelson Mandela, in PE. So there, there is work that is being done. And then going forward, I would say, let us all be in the festive mo- mood. However, be responsible during doing all of that. Sure. And be considerate of others. And, and make sure that we protect the vulnerable especially our elderly parents, our, our relatives, and ensure right. that we don't transmit the virus where we go. All right, Dr. Zungu, we're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this interview. Uh, Dr. Zungu is the HOD in the Eastern Cape Health Department. I guess you can make your own mind up about what has come out of uh, this conversation. Certainly quite a number of interesting uh, you know, things, but also issues that I think will need to be attended to if, in fact, there's going to be any improvement uh, with the situation in the East. Cape. So one or two voice notes that you've sent in contributing to the conversation. And then on the other side of this, we're in conversation with Tulas Nesi, the Minister of Employment and Labour.